As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 9. Listen for the word of God. At that time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Of the 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell upon them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have been coming, looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, then well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Enthusiastic, thanks be to God, I ever heard. It's always a pleasure to be at Morningside, where Al and I love to worship regularly. How you have honored me in making me your pastor emeritus. Thank you for being our spiritual home. It's been a while since I've been in the pulpit, and I'm grateful to Barron for this invitation. In our neighborhood, there is a big, beautiful house that sits on top of a hill. I don't know who lives there, but whoever does live there loves holidays and goes all out when a holiday comes around, setting up impressive yard displays throughout the year. In October, there's a bubbling cauldron. There are giant spiders crawling across the grass. In December, Santa and the reindeer appear. It's all a lot of fun, and I enjoy the displays immensely, but I I had kind of a startling experience when I rode by the house in February. It was less than a week after Ash Wednesday, 
which marks the beginning of Lent, and there the yard was already covered up with eye-catching displays of giant, festively decorated plywood Easter eggs. It was jarring to me. I don't want to criticize the neighbors, but I think that yard display is illustrative of a leap we all are tempted to take, and that is to sort of bypass the journey to Jerusalem, the sadness and the suffering that takes place in the holy city, the the crucifixion, the burial in the tomb. If we can't just get those ashes on our head, tend to our business doing something else, and then make a beeline for Easter Sunday morning, singing our hallelujahs, wearing our Easter bonnets. Forty days is a long time for Lent to last. And that's not including the Sundays. Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness for 40 days. The children of Israel languished in the wilderness uh, for 40 years. It's, It's hard to wait. And it is a challenge to choose to stay on the road to Passion Sunday and to the crucifixion. It's, it's a challenge to engage in the disciplines and practices of the season, self-scrutiny, self-denial, self-reflection, repentance. We are invited to enter into the story of Jesus' sorrow and sacrifice and walk all the way with him down the road to the cross. Of course, the journey is not all doom and gloom. Along the way, Jesus heals sick people. He he blesses children. He he binds up people whose whose hearts are broken. He he says to the people out there in the margins, hey, you're you're foremost in the kingdom of God. He he proclaims the reign of God and its blessing. He he invites people to come and believe the gospel. He, He teaches and preaches with a special sense of urgency because time is running out, but mainly because he loves people. He does not want to leave them with erroneous assumptions about how they are supposed to live, how life works, what what God expects. Even as he prepares to give his life for the sins of the world, he issues the ultimatum himself. Repent or perish. I don't know whether Faye McKay Clegg is here today, but I do know that I've never, during my 35 years of ministry, known an usher captain who worried about too many people coming to church during Lent. Things pick up on Palm Sunday. Easter is madness. Just about everybody wants to be here when the journey is over when the call to repentance is done and behind us, I can't resist telling you about a conversation I heard in the neighborhood right around here a few weeks ago. Two moms were chatting about the kinds of things their children like to do. 
And one of the moms said, my kids really love Six Flags, and every year we buy annual passes. Guess what we discovered last year, she said. You won't believe this, but the very best time to go to Six Flags is Easter Sunday morning. I didn't make this up. I heard this conversation. (laughs) She went on to say, there is absolutely no wait at all for the log jamboree (laughs) or the monster mansion. I had to look up the names of the rides and see what they were because I'm not, I didn't know what a monster mansion was. She said the great thing about it is we spent the morning there and still had time for a great Easter brunch. I I don't want to sound old-fashioned this morning, (laughs) but let's us not miss, here I go, not miss this year, this Lent, this Holy Week, this Easter. Let us not miss the reason for the season. You know the reason. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is a really big deal. It's serious. It's hopeful. It's everything. It is the reality in which we who are baptized into the Christian faith bet our lives. Let's not miss the importance of the Lenten journey so that we will be ready to receive the blessedness of, of Easter morning and be here for that blessing. So, let's listen in for a moment to the conversation Jesus is having. There's a large crowd, by the way. Luke tells us there were thousands of people there, so much so that they trampled all over each other. I don't know whether Lloyd Prince and David Cox were around with a lavalier mic or not, but I'm telling you, there were a lot of people there, and it seemed as if everybody were able to hear Jesus. Some in the crowd want to have a philosophical conversation with Jesus about what theologians call theodicy. Two tragedies have happened. A tower has collapsed. People have been killed. Pilots, soldiers, uh, the Roman soldiers have, have killed some people in the temple. Uh, and they want to know, uh, did these people suffer and die because God was punishing them? They want to have a colloquy on the subject uh, of uh, suffering and where evil and bad things come from. Jesus doesn't have time for that kind of conversation. He turns the spotlight right in their faces and says, look, let's don't talk about that. What's going on with you? Are you living the kind of life you are supposed to live? What about you and God's judgment? And so, after he asks these questions, he tells them a parable. It involves two characters, the owner of a vineyard and the gardener, who is entrusted with the care of the vineyard. The conversation begun by the owner uh, has a real produce or perish 
feel to it, a shape up or else ultimatum. It's really kind of scary. The owner looks at the fig tree, which has been sitting there for three years doing nothing, and says, see here, I'm tired of this useless tree. Cut it down, he commands his gardener. Now, I won't bore you with Middle Eastern horticultural data, but I will say that in order for a tree to be cleansed in terms of the Levitical law, you couldn't eat its fruit for three years. So this tree had actually been in the ground for six years and still no figs. Wasting soil, the owner accused the tree of. I I think that's kind of a mean-spirited thing to say. I mean, (laughs) there's plenty of dirt to go around last time I looked. But here the deal is, the tree was absorbing water and nutrients that would have helped the nearby vines, you see. It was taking away from the health of the whole, threatening the surrounding vineyard. It was unproductive, It's unproductivity, notwithstanding, the gardener intercedes. Sir, let me have one more year. I'll dig around and put some manure around it. By the way, this is the only mention in either the Hebrew scriptures or the Christian scriptures of manure. (laughs) And I'm sorry I had to be the one to talk about it today. You should have asked me for another Sunday in Lent, and I wouldn't have had to talk about it. But the point is, this is a really extreme measure that the gardener's going to go to, doing something that's very odd and out of the ordinary. And so he persuades the owner to have a little mercy for 12 more months. Now, the owner has sounded to me a lot like John the Baptist. Do you remember how he comes in that first Sunday as Advent, the season of Advent starts saying, listen, the axe is now lying at the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't bear fruit is to be cut down and thrown into the fire. It scares the you-know-what out of everybody. And they say, what shall we do? And sounding a lot like Jesus, John the Baptist says, well, you better change the way you're living. If you're a tax collector, don't take more than you should. If you have two coats, find somebody who doesn't have one and give it to them. If you have enough food, for goodness sake, share with others. Change your behavior into kingdom behavior. Clean up your act and do something. Don't just say, listen, I'm in good shape. I was born into the faith tradition of my fathers and nothing is expected of me. Something is expected. The parable is a story that is usually called the parable of the barren fig tree. I think of it more as the parable that is a kick in the pants. So, what's the story about? About. I want to suggest that this story is actually an internal debate that takes place within the very heart of God. 
that the judging owner illustrates one aspect of the real nature of God. That aspect of God's will and being that created us in love and expects us to live up to what we can be and to serve him with all our hearts and souls and minds and strength. Yes, there is grace, but there is also obligation. And on the other hand, the gracious gardener who begs for mercy is not that the voice of an aspect of God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, the God who gave his only son for the sake of the sins of the world. This is a debate that the Hebrew people who were listening to Jesus would have been very familiar with. And the prophets over and over again, God is ready to destroy the Hebrew people or this group or that group, the Ninevites, whoever, and then God says, but I can't do that. You know, I made them. I I can't give up on them. The story of Noah and the flood is a perfect example. You know, I'm going to kill everybody. Everybody's going to drown except the people in the ship and the ark with Noah. And then afterward, God says, I'm not ever going to do that again. And he puts the rainbow in the sky to remind him not to let his impatience get ahead of him again. And so what we have here is justified judgment in tension with merciful grace. And herein lies our hope. that every human being at the end of the day will be granted another chance. None of us ought ever to be satisfied with our status quo, saying God's grace is all I need. We need a kick in the pants sometime. Imagine grace as being not only unconditional forgiveness, but also the kind of love and judgment that makes you all you are supposed to be. No matter what we do, God will still love us, but we just can't get away with everything. Change is in order. Bear fruit while there is still time. You know, I, I'm sure you share with me, the older I get, the more I have these experiences, when I, I have a worry about my physical well-being. And I'll go to the doctor and I'll have a test or a procedure, God help us. And, and then you go to hear the results and the doctor said, you're fine. And you just go home with your fingers tapping a song on the steering wheel. It's just a wonderful thing. Life, life is going on. Thank you, God. I still have time to grow, a chance to be joyful, to live a meaningful life before God and with other people, to work for justice and mercy in the world God loves. 
to do my part for the healing of creation. It's a great feeling. I think, though I wasn't there, clearly Ruth Lynn Newell had a completely different kind of feeling when 12 years ago she got word from her oncologist that she had ovarian cancer, a particularly lethal form of malignancy. Now, Ruth Lynn, she was no dummy. She knew that she was embarking on a race against time and against her disease. I didn't know her 12 years ago, but I've had the privilege of being her friend and colleague and pastor for the last nine years. And I can say... without hesitation, that she was a fruit bearer of the first order. She did not need a kick in the pants from her Savior. She got it from the oncologist. And boy, did she step up and live the fullest and most meaningful and constructive life that was possible to live. Uh, Do you you think Morningside's a good church? I'll tell you, there is no one who did more to make this congregation a better congregation than Ruth Lynn with her wisdom, with her wicked wit, with her impatience, with sloppiness, her insistence on keeping the church rolls clean and the minutes accurate. Lord have mercy. Was that tedious for me? and just her natural gift. Do you think Morningside's the kind of place where you can come as yourself, however you are on any given day? Whether you're whole and cute and darling, or whether you've had six procedures in one week and your hair ain't what it used to be, she taught us it was okay to come as we are. Even if you're not at full strength, you can take your place right up here with the bell choir and pick up your handbell and ring it with all your heart for Jesus Christ, your Savior. As she lost her physical strength, we became spiritually stronger along with her. She taught us how to love and to be loved. She was quite a horticulturist, she was. Her backyard and deck loaded with luscious, beautiful plants, but so was her life. It was a vineyard of the fruits of righteousness from which we have all been nourished. Above all else, she was brave. And I'm wondering if today would not be a good time for us to think about whether we might live our own lives more bravely? How about risking just a little bit rather than sitting where we are and letting things go on as the way they always have? I think about raising kids and how and how 
There's nothing more important you can do for them in addition to loving them unconditionally is to help them grow up to live responsibly. There is no parent alive who really loves his or her kids and lets those kids get away with murder. Who says nothing is expected? How about tuck in your shirt? Turn off the TV? Uh, Excuse me, but Daddy was talking. Why do you say those things? Because you're mean? No, you say them because you love. God loves us like that. We are beneficiaries of the grace of God. We have been justified by the blood of Christ. We have been resurrected to new life through the sacrifice of Christ. And because of God's actions, because of God's righteousness, it has become possible that we too can be righteous. We can embody the will and the love of God in our world. Because of what has been done for us, we can be better than we currently are. I want to close with a homegrown story. I'm watching that clock on the wall. This happened in March, 13 years ago. There was a Republican member of the Georgia House of Representatives, a man named Dan Ponder, who was a representative from Donaldsonville, Georgia. The legislature was debating uh, the passage of a hate crimes bill, which would have been the first hate crime legislation passed in any state. Representative Ponder stood in the well of the House, and he made a talk. And in that talk, he talked about how his roots went way back in the state of Georgia, and that in the 19th century, his family had owned slaves. His great-great-grandfather and great-grandfather had fought in the Civil War. He said he went to a public school in Donaldsonville where when President Kennedy was shot, a lot of the kids cheered. He told his fellow legislators legislators about how his college fraternity had ostracized six members because they were gay. He told about the African-American woman who had raised him who had changed his diapers, who had read stories to him, who had taught him the difference between right and wrong, and how one day, when he was about 12 or 13, and the school bus came to pick him up, she had walked with him out to the bus stop. And she leaned over to give him a kiss on the cheek and wish him a good day. And he said, I turned my head and walked toward the bus. I'd been taught that black people should never kiss white people. And then he said, that was the low point in my life. And since I've been a grown man, 
I have pledged to my life that never again would I look in the mirror and know that I had been mean, that I had kept silent, that I had let hatred, prejudice, indifference negatively impact another person's life. He ended. I finally figured out that the only way we're ever going to make progress is when somebody stands up and takes a stand. I urge the House to pass the hate crimes bill. After so many years, so many years, bigs at last. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWUChapel and at TWUStudentMin. Much love.